0: Hey, Woodland Church, are you feeling good today? Yeah. Yeah, you've thought out a little bit, so that's good. Because we just started this new series that we're calling Frozen Goals. And it's all about how do you melt the barriers that hold you back in life. And today, Chris and I are going to get right down to the heart of relationships. If you're a parent of a young child, you've probably heard the songs from Disney's Frozen, more times than you can count. You know, they just get stuck in your head. And I think that's Disney's strategy. They have these catchy tunes that you just, you know, can't get out of your head. You want to let go of let it go, but you just can't let it go.
1: (laughs) And in the movie Frozen, they say you need to beware of a frozen heart. And it turns out that's actually really true. When it comes to relationships, especially marriage, the last thing you want to have is a frozen heart. All couples start out seeing love as an open door because it just feels like the relationship is going to be the fulfillment of all our hopes and dreams. But for the dream, as far as the dreams being fulfilled, for most couples, the open door starts to close once that cold wind of reality starts to blow in.
0: And the warm, close, and loving feelings are replaced with a deep freeze of disappointment. And the safe and secure connection starts getting buried under an avalanche of fear. Now let me explain this. Every one of us go into marriage with goals, dreams, and desires. We all have what I call a box of goals, dreams, and desires that we bring into the marriage. Let's let this balloon represent our goals and dreams because we feel like once we get married then That marriage is gonna help all of our dreams soar. So this balloon represents our goals and our dreams. We all have goals and dreams. Usually they're just different. Maybe you have a dream of a nice little cottage in the country. Or maybe it's a dream of a townhouse in the city. Or maybe it's the dream of a fulfilling career. Or maybe it's the dream of having two or three children. Or the dream of having no children. Or the dream of having 10 children. Maybe it's a dream of traveling the world, just traveling a lot, going on great adventures, or maybe it's a dream of staying at home and being homebodies and love together. Uh, You know, we all have our dreams and our goals, but then we have desires. And let's say this rose represents our desires, and everyone has the desire to be really close, have a deep and close connection in the marriage relationship. But it means different things to different people. Maybe you have a desire to take long walks together. And so you desire you're gonna take long walks together on a daily basis. Or maybe it's a desire to go on weekly dates where you get all dressed up. A lot of romance. Or maybe it's a desire to stay at home in your comfy clothes, cuddle up by the fireplace, watching television and just binging on your favorite show. Or maybe it's a desire to work out together or the desire to share an activity, or the desire to live a life of adventure, or a desire to live a life that's all planned out and predictable, but we all have these desires. And you see, what, what generally happens is, we take our goals, dreams, and desires, and we literally dump them on our spouse, and we say, make them all come true. We dump all of our dreams, goals, and desires onto our spouse in the marriage relationship and say, you got to make them all come true. I'm counting on you. And what happens is those goals, dreams, and desires don't feel much like goals, dreams, and desires to them because once you dump them on them, it feels more to them like the cold ice of expectations. It's a burdensome blizzard, It's the avalanche of expectations that you gotta fulfill my dreams and my goals and my desires and make them all come true and it's not dreams anymore, it's expectations. And what it does to dreams is deflates dreams. And so you gotta thaw this out by realizing that you can't just dump all your dreams onto another person and expect them to fulfill them, and as you thaw it out, then that dream can come back to life, but you talk it through. And when it comes to our desires, they start becoming frozen in disappointment and dread. When those desires turn into expectations, they turn into a burden, and it makes the relationship really fragile, like this rose. And it can be easily broken and so many relationships, hearts are broken because of these heavy expectations that we place on each other.
1: And there are two types of expectations that have to be thought out. The first is the ice of unspoken expectations. So as Carrie said, the truth is that in our most important relationships, we all have expectations. And what we're going to be talking about today is true for all your important relationships in life, for marriage and for relationships between a parent and child. Maybe you have a teenager, you're having trouble with that relationship, or maybe it's your relationship with your parent or a coworker. But The same is true for all of these things. We all have expectations on each other in close relationships. The problem is that a lot of the time, we fail to share exactly what they are And two people with different backgrounds and different personalities will always have different expectations. And in marriage, both partners have a vision of what they think their life is going to be like. And when you stand at the altar, you have a vision for what you think life will be like. And that includes your home life, what the shared responsibilities are going to be like. It includes your parenting life. It includes your sex life, your career life. There's all kinds of expectations that we have. But when spouses fail to fulfill our unspoken expectations, and they will fail, then we interpret it as a failure of them to love us. We think it's a failure to love. It goes in our heads something like this. If you really love me, well, then you would do this or say that. And to us, it seems so obvious. It doesn't even need to be said. Well, of course you would do this if you really loved me. I not, I'm not speaking from personal experience or anything. Though. No, I, mean, no. I,
0: I, I accept it fully.
1: <laughs> well, let me give you an example from our early marriage. When we first got married, you know, we we've just came together. We, have our, we move in together for the first time right after the wedding, and then... Every time I go to the bathroom, I notice that the toilet seat has been left up. And I think, who does this? What is wrong here? I mean, this is, you know, surely I'll just mention it to him. Because, you know, I got that I came from an all-girl family. I only had sisters. And then I went on to college and lived in a girl's dorm and then had girl roommates. And so this was a new thing to me. And intellectually, I thought, okay, and... Carrie had brothers, and then the guys dorm at college, and lived with guys after that. And so, so okay, I'll just tell him, hey, could you put the seat down, honey? And I'm sure it will take care of it. So I said, hey, could you put the seat down? And he said, well, sure. But guess what? That didn't happen, It just ever. didn't seem like a big deal to me. <laughs> but as time went on, Every time I went in the bathroom and the seat was up, it would annoy me just a little more. And I'd continue to say, hey, the seat's up again. Hey, you've let the seat up. Hello. And I would remind him over and over, which he interpreted as nagging. All the women here know that wasn't nagging. That was just speaking truth. That was just saying, (laughs) hey, here's a fact for you. The seat is still up. And he would always say, oh, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'll do that but he didn't. And there wasn't any change. And over time, I started to interpret that as, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care if I land in the cold water in the middle of the night. He just, there must be something deeper. He really doesn't care about me. And it was so frustrating. And this sounds like a silly thing, but it went on for years. And we had this problem because I didn't explain why it was fr- so frustrating to me. Other, you know, other than you know, him thinking that, well, you know, I mean, just, if it bothers you that much, put it down. I thought, that's not the point. The point is, I want you to think, you know, to put it down out of consideration for me. And after years of Kerry thinking I was nagging and me thinking he was uncaring, we finally had an actual five-minute conversation about what the real problem was. And that, again, may sound silly. You think, yeah, okay, well, yeah, I have big problems. Well, believe me, we've had plenty of issues in our marriage over time, but yet this really encapsulates the picture of what all of them are. It's, there's something going on on the surface that's not really the problem. The problem is a lot deeper. I read an article once about a guy who walked from New York to California And when he arrived in California, there were reporters there, because he'd done this big cross-country walk. And they said, what was the biggest thing that you encountered, the toughest obstacle? And he said, well, it was the sand in my shoes every day. It was the sand in his shoes. And I thought, yeah, wow, I get that. Because in marriage, over time, it's the little things a lot of times. It's that sand in your shoes going on and on that we never really stop to communicate about. So small, unspoken expectations can actually turn out to be big things. And then also, we need to thaw that ice of unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Have you ever noticed that managing your expectations can actually make a really big difference in your attitude? I mean, if you are a parent of a newborn, of young children, you may think, I'm supposed to get a good night's sleep, and it's not happening. You know, I have this newborn, and it's just not happening. And every day you get more frustrated. It's like, oh, I just want to sleep. I just want one good night's sleep. When are they? Ever, when is this child ever going to get to that point? But as new parents, if you stop expecting a good night's sleep, because that's unrealistic, and just start expecting a series of naps, then you'll actually find out, wow, you'll wake up in the morning and think, okay, I had a series of naps, just like I thought I would. And you won't be so disappointed, You see, some of the expectations we place on the people we love are guaranteed disappointments. And that's because our very deepest needs as human beings can only be filled by God. Those deepest needs of significance and value can only be filled by the one who created us. And so, when we look to another human to try to give us worth, it's always gonna end up the same way. We will always feel bitterly disappointed and they'll always feel like a failure. But it's unrealistic to imagine that throughout your whole marriage, you're always going to just gaze into each other's eyes, enraptured and amazed, just like the day you stood at the altar. I mean, when you get married, you give the person you married a front row seat, that ticket to see the best and the worst in you. So here's what's realistic, and actually way better. It's that throughout your marriage, you can look together at God. And so instead of just looking at each other to meet each other's needs, we look together to God and become more and more enraptured and amazed with what He can do, that He can actually make something beautiful out of two broken people.
0: I want us to open our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, because it's our key passage today, and it shows us that lasting relationships are built from the heart, God is speaking to his people here. And he's also speaking to us today. And he gets right to the heart of relationships. So would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodland Church? It's a really short verse, but it is so deep and powerful when it comes to relationships. This is what it's all about. God says, and I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender Responsive heart. Dear God, that's what we need today in our closest relationships, a tender, responsive heart to you and to those around us. Lord, I pray that you would thaw out hearts today, that you would work miracles in relationships, in families, in marriages, in friendships. Lord, just work miracles because we know that it's such a need in our culture today is everything seems to tear relationships apart You want us to grow closer with a heart connection. And I pray that you'd do that in the next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. And I want you to underline singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. The biggest problem God's people had was that their hearts were divided. They loved God with part of their heart and then they tried to be God with another part of their heart. And that's our biggest problem. And the biggest barrier to close and deep relationships is a divided heart. And God wants to give you singleness of heart. The secret that highly happy couples have discovered is singleness of heart. Their hearts are united. Now it's not singleness of mind. They think differently. They come from different backgrounds, different needs, different personalities. It's not singleness of mind. You don't think the same way as anyone else, but it's singleness of heart. So how do you have singleness of heart? Well, underline that last part of the passage, a tender, responsive heart. See, God is telling his people, your problem is your hearts are frozen and fractured, and you need a heart that's tender and responsive to me and to the people in your life. And to have singleness of heart, you need a heart that is tender and responsive to your spouse if you're married, to your children if you have children, to your friend, your best friend. You need tenderness and responsiveness of heart, a tender and responsive heart, and you'll have singleness of heart. If you both have a tender and responsive heart, you're attuned to each other, and your hearts are attuned to each other. The problem is we try to talk to our spouse in logical terms, and it's all about intellectual arguments that we get into, and it causes all kinds of problems because we never connect hearts. And everything starts in the heart. It's all about thawing out your heart so you can be tender and responsive to each other. So Chris and I want to give you three simple but profound points today that can change your relationships. The first is admit your fear of losing connection. If you're going to have a tender and responsive heart, you have to admit your fear of losing connection. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus was saying you are made for connection, a connection with me. If you're gonna be fruitful and effective and productive and fulfilled in life, you gotta be connected to God. When you get disconnected from God, you're disconnected from your whole purpose. But it's also true in our closest relationships. God wants us to be totally connected in a heart connection. You were made for connection, so when you start to lose connection in your closest relationships, a primal fear comes up in your life and you start doing many times destructive things that make you even more disconnected. It's our fear of losing connection that causes most of the problems in the marriage relationship. And most couples never recognize it as the root problem. They're always talking about that surface issue and arguing over that back and forth And what you have to do is get down to the heart of the matter. Uh, Let us illustrate it this way. Chris, I'm going to give you a sword. It's going to get real exciting. And I'm going to give you a shield. That's the real deal. And what we're going to do is demonstrate how it tends to work. Because most of the conflict that marriages have and a lot of the conflict and other relationships as well, comes out of this fear of losing connection. Now the first really destructive way that people fight when they fear losing connection is what we call attack, attack. And that's when you begin to fear losing connection so you start blaming and you start attacking. And it's like, well you did this and you did that. I wouldn't do this if you didn't act that way. It's your fault. And, and you're both attacking each other, one attack after the other, and it really is destructive in a huge way. (laughs) She goes right for the heart. Yeah, and she's brilliant in arguments. You know, she's like a prosecuting attorney, you know, and it's just like, there's just no way to ever win intellectually with her. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, yeah, it's true. It is so true, and we've been having therapy all weekend. It's been wonderful <laughs> for us. So anyway, I hope you, hope you get something out of it. But, uh, but it is that attack Attack is one really common way, but really it's just two people fearing losing connection. But what happens with attack, attack, it's a vicious cycle where you get even more disconnected. All you feel is the attack. Instead of seeing the attack as I'm afraid of losing connection, we just feel the attack. And we're just talking about surface level issues. We're not ever getting down to the heart. But the second and the most common way most couples interact in conflict that's so destructive and it becomes a vicious cycle is not attack, attack. It's attack, withdraw, where one is feeling like they're starting to lose connection and the fear of disconnection comes up and so they will attack. And then the other will feel attacked and be afraid they don't have what it takes to really connect so they'll withdraw a little bit. And the other one will then attack even more to try to get that connection back. And I'm about to go off the stage, babe. So anyway, uh, we don't want that to happen again. So anyway. Uh, but, but that plays out in so many relationships. It could be the husband attacking the wife Withdrawing it could be the, the, the wife attacking the husband withdrawing in our relationship. It's usually Chris feeling that fear of losing connection and me kind of withdrawing and moving away, fearing that I don't have what it takes to really connect and, and that she doesn't want to be connected. And I, and I fear that losing connection, and I withdraw. And we'll give you an issue that this happens with.
1: So for instance, I might say, Hey, I'll give him a call. Hey the family is all here sitting down waiting because remember, we are going to eat together at 6.30. Well, everybody's here and we're waiting on you. One person's missing. And so where are you? And why aren't you here? Because I told you to be here and you said you would, but you're not.
0: And then I come back as I'm withdrawing, I'm going, well, I've got so many important things to do. I'm a man of God serving the Lord. I'm meeting the needs of hurting people.
1: God gave you a watch. He gave you a clock. (laughs) Yeah, but a,
0: a thousand years is unto a day to the Lord. So it's it's totally different just because I'm a thousand years late. But that's kind of what happens, but I will I will withdraw because it's like I feel like she's rejecting me and she feels like I'm devaluing her. She's losing connection. It makes her feel totally unvalued that I didn't call and I got caught up in work and, and I'm thinking, what? I mean what do you expect of me? I'm trying as hard as I can and And the way it would go, we would argue about those things. Attack and withdraw, attack and withdraw. But what we've learned is that when Chris starts to attack, it's not a sword with the word attack on it. On the other side of that sword is, I fear losing our connection. You're so valuable to me. And when I raise the shield up and start to withdraw, it's not a shield saying, I don't love you and I devalue you, it's a shield that says, I'm afraid of your rejection and losing connection. And that's what I'm really afraid of. And so it's this vicious cycle, though, that destroys so many marriages and relationships. And so we've come to this place where we realize, oh, we're doing the vicious cycle again. And that's what you can do. You can stop and recognize it. Because you know when you're doing it. And it just gets worse and worse and worse because you're trying to win the argument. She's unreasonable. You know, he, he doesn't really care about me. you know. And, and so you, you just go around and around. It's a vicious cycle, so we now we say, Wait a minute, we're doing the vicious cycle, aren't we? Yep, we can even laugh about it. Doing the vicious cycle, and it's all because we want the same thing. We're afraid of losing connection. We want the same thing, and once you realize that, it changes everything, but what happens a lot of times is over time with attack, attack, or attack, withdraw, both of them drop the sword and the shield because they're afraid of losing connection and it hurts so much, they're tired of being hurt, and so they just give up, and that's a way to keep from having that fear of losing connection, just give up connection. You know, It's hurtful, but they just give up, and it's just withdraw, withdraw, and that's the worst thing that can happen. And, and so, Chris is gonna share with you not just how to recognize this, that's, you gotta recognize when you're in the vicious cycle, but then you gotta do something about it to connect not with the head, but with the heart.
1: And the second way to melt the barriers that hold you back is to practice connecting on a deeper level. Psalms 119, verses 77 through 79 says, Oh, love me, and right now hold me tight just the way you promised. Now comfort me so I can live, really live. Your revelation is the tune I dance to. Isn't that what all of us want? We really want to be held tight. We want to be able to dance in that way we dreamed of in our relationships. And what we all really long for in those closest relationships is understanding. And to get to that deeper level, we have to dive deeper than just going around and around talking about the same surface issues that come up every single day. When we start to see those problems as opportunities to learn how to understand each other, then we'll see those frozen relationships start to thaw. And you may have a relationship that you think, it will never change. It's just, it is what it is. But the truth is that in Christ, we always have the ability to change. And so if you long for real intimacy, you have to be willing to drop your guard and be known and let your actual feelings be known. It's been said that the word intimacy is a way of saying, into me, see. And if you drop that guard and let others see into you and see your true feelings, where this is really coming from, it'll change everything. Carrie and I have discovered that this is a lifelong process. And we've been married for 35 years. We've known each other for about 40 years. And yet, we still have to consciously remind ourselves all the time to resist that desire, that fleshly desire to just attack and retreat, to just fall into the in- equally ineffective habits. They may look different on the outside, but really, the heart is the same. We both want to connect and don't know how. And so, instead of choosing those ineffective ways of expressing ourselves, we've learned to change the way we connect. We want to connect with each other and and change that. So we want to share with you a few ways that you can change the ways that you connect, a few things that really help us. Now, the first thing is, remember, the overall goal is to understand each other, not to win. That's a starting point you've got to be at. If your goal is to win the argument every time, you know, when one of you wins, you both lose. You have to come to the place where you're willing to admit, hey, what we really want is connection. So some of the very practical things that we've done, and they're really simple, but uh, if you make them a habit, it'll change things. So as we talk about these, just listen and you can cherry pick whatever seems to work for some of your relationships. One is to look at each other. And so just looking each other in the eye at a short distance has made a big difference for us. Sometimes you can be arguing and be partway across the room and all you're caught up in is the gestures. But we found that when we are actually close and can look in each other's eyes, even if we're mad, that there's some con- deep connection going on. And then also touch, just reaching out and grabbing each other's hands or you know, just putting my hand on it. Just anything that you're physically connected when you're really trying to work through an issue.
0: That really helps me because mine is withdrawing and so when I think about her attacking, I think, oh, it's just because she loves, she cares. So I'm not going to withdraw. I'm going to move closer to her. I'm going to look at her. I'm going to touch.
1: So we're, we're both going against what our natural instinct is to do and, and leaning into each other. And then ask clear questions and give clear answers. Don't just assume that you know why your spouse or teen or parent did what they did. Actually ask in long-term relationships especially, like being married for a long time, we start to assume we know each other so well. I know why he did this. I know what he means. I know what she means when she says that. When really they may mean something totally different. So it's being willing to admit, okay, I may not own all truth. I may be wrong and let them, let them answer for themselves. So just ask questions. We tend to judge ourselves by our intentions. And we judge others by their actions. And so it's kind of learning to flip that. And I used to tell Carrie that, oh, something, here's a problem. And he'd say, oh, well, I didn't mean that. Um, He'd think that if he didn't mean to hurt my feelings, therefore, they can't be hurt. Therefore, that's not true. And I'd say, oh, no, it doesn't work that way. It's no
0: offense, but, and if I say no offense, you can't take offense.
1: (laughs) And it just doesn't work that way. That
0: doesn't work at all. (laughs)
1: And then try to find a new way to express an old argument. Uh, so maybe using a word picture instead of using those same old words. And for most couples, most relationships, really your arguments are the root of them is just a few different things. Maybe for you it is finances, or maybe it's um, how you deal in parenting, maybe it's your sex life, maybe it's in laws, whatever that you know, touch point issue is for you. We tend to always say the same old things every time and get into the same old arguments. So learning to say it in a new way. So giving a word picture, and that just means saying, you know, when you, it looks something like this, when you leave the toilet seat up, Mm -hmm. it makes me feel devalued. It makes me feel like I'm worthless, like I'm just one of the extra things around the house you could throw away, like I'm just not valuable.
0: And what I do now is I repeat what she said because used to, I'd say, oh, that's not true. I would dismiss her feelings. I'd say, that's not true. I I value you greatly. That's not why I do that. I just forget. It's no big deal. And I would devalue her feelings, but now all I do is just repeat what she said. And so when I leave the toilet seat up, it makes you feel really devalued, like I don't care that you fall into the toilet seat at 1 a.m. That's
1: what I said. It makes me feel devalued.
0: So it makes you feel devalued. Then I'll stop and I'll really try to put myself in her position. I'll try to feel it. You see, this is not about it's the not head anymore. It's not a good
1: anymore. feeling. You're going to find out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and see, what I'll actually think, okay, okay, falling into the toilet seat at that time. That's, well, that must feel awful. Now you get the picture. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, when we first started doing this, it was kind of felt awkward to me and kind of like rote and hypocritical because I would just repeat. And, I, and it was hard for me to get in touch with my feeling because I'm used to arguing. You know, all, all, I just doing the arguments that never work. And so now I realize it's all about emotional connection. And if you don't connect emotionally, then you're not getting anywhere. It's all about heart connection. That thaws out your heart. So, and, and over time, as I've said, so when I do this, it makes you feel this way. Instead of saying, no, that wasn't my intention. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to make you feel that way. That's not what it is, you're wrong. Your feelings are wrong. It's like affirming her feelings. She affirms my feelings. We do this back and forth. She affirms my feelings, and then I say, I think about how it would feel. I go, man, that must feel really lonely. That must feel really you know, bad. That must feel really, make you feel really fearful. You know. And then we're connected in our hearts.
1: And not only that, but when he actually feels for me, when I feel for him and we're connected in that way, it actually ends up changing our behavior. You know what? Kerry quit leaving the seat up after we finally had a conversation about it where he understood how I felt. And so by having those conversations and saying, you know, when I, when this happens, when A happens, then I feel B. You know, when you do this, I feel this. And explaining how you feel and why. Remember, the goal is to understand each other. So you try to avoid uh, inflammatory comments like always and never. Like you always do this. You never do that. Uh, Instead of that, trying to just go ahead and talk about what's going on. Sure, you're going to bring that up at the surface, but then talk about what it makes you feel like and what the real root problem is. And then another thing that we've learned to do is to ask for what we need in concrete, measurable terms. When you just tell your husband or wife, well, I just don't feel loved, or I don't feel appreciated, that doesn't really help that much, it turns out, because they clearly don't know how to make you feel loved or appreciated if they actually do love and appreciate you, but you don't feel that way. And so, for instance, a question that Carrie asked me just last week was he said, what are two things that I could do to make you feel more loved? And do you remember what I said? <laughs>
0: Y'all pray for me. No, I I do remember because I wrote them down. Because it's like, oh, wow, that's great, you know? know, Now, no more pride. I have no more pride about these things. I was like, I got to write this down because I want to remember it because I want to make her feel loved. And I remember she said, kiss me as I go out the door, you go out the door in the morning and would just call me one time during the day just for a couple minutes so that I know you're thinking about me. And so I wrote that down, kiss her. Before I leave, and then call her, and then I, and then you know, put a little note in my car so I get in the car and it's like, oh wait, I haven't kissed her. Go back in, kiss her, and then at work on my desk, call her sometime today in this giant poster, and I call her, and uh, and that's what she wanted. That makes her feel loved.
1: And so there's a lot of other things that he could do that he thinks would I should feel loved about, but if it doesn't actually work for me, then it wasn't the right thing. So just simply being clear and asking questions and continuing to ask questions has made a big difference. And it's important to continue doing this because these things change at every stage of life and with our circumstances. When we had four kids going to four different schools, my easy answer was, I need you to help. With whatever kid misses the bus that day, Help get them to school. I mean, it'd be, it'd be different things. Whatever is going on in your life, and it will continue, I know, as we get older, everything changes all the time. And that's why we have to keep on asking questions. And it means, yeah, no more pride, you know, just saying, hey, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know how to make you feel loved this week, this month, this year, but I need you to tell me. So I ask questions. And then be proactive in admitting when you have blown it. All of us are gonna make mistakes. We all do. Uh, Carrie and I have made plenty, and we will continue to make plenty, but being willing to, in those closest relationships in your life, just say, hey, I blew it. You know, I made a mistake here. Or if you lie about something, then be quick to confess it. It will go exponentially better for you if you are the one to bring up your lie and actually confess that without being found out. If you step back and wait to see if you're found out, if your spi- spouse finds out, if you, you know, were kind of cu- trying to do something and tried to cover it up, uh, it is hard, much harder to rebuild trust than to keep trust. And so being willing to just say, I blew it, I blew it here, I need your help. You know, I, I want to tell you about this. Sure, it may cause trouble um, in the short run, but over time, and our closest relationships are about going the distance, it'll make a huge difference. You know, the test of your character is usually a pop quiz. It's, uh, you know, a lot of times not something you know about way in advance and it's going to be put up on a billboard. It's those little things that come up all the time. and We have a chance to, um, you know, take the right path or the wrong. And so be sure to have that one relationship, at least in your life, where you can be totally transparent and really step into the light with them. Another thing we do, try to do is keep short accounts. When something comes up, we talk about it. Something comes up, we talk about it. And that means we're talking all the time. But they're not that hard of things if you do them quickly. And so don't wait for things to accumulate. It's like um, having a, getting a brick, and you're supposed to move it from here to here, and you say, well, it's just, uh, I could do this later. It's just one brick. And then there's another one and another one. And pretty soon you have a whole pile of bricks that you need to move over from the pile of lies to the pile of truth, and you can't do it anymore, it's so big. It's really hard. So just keep moving one brick at a time. Whenever something comes up, a problem, a concern, then talk about it together. And for Carrie and I, we found that making an actual scheduled time on our calendar once a week to get together to do these kinds of things is really helpful. Sure, we talk all the time, but having a set time And it could be in the morning for you or in the evening or the weekend, whenever it works. But just to connect and we can quickly go over our calendar for the coming week, which is really practical. And then we can also talk about, hey, you know, how are you doing? How am I doing? What are are some things I could do to help you? What was your high of last week? What was your low? And then really importantly, we pray together. Of course, you can do that anytime and any day. But I used to think that that would be something mystical or like okay, what do you do? You pray together and it's like talking in King James English and it's something strange and maybe you feel uncomfortable about that too. That's okay, you know. Uh, stepping into awkward things is just what we do in life and that's where the best rewards come from. So growing up, we did not, no one ever prayed in my family and and so it felt really weird when we got married. I thought, okay, what is this supposed to be like or look like? What do we do? But it's really simple. Yeah. We just, you know, grab hands and... Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, husbands, I want to teach you how to pray with your wife, okay? All you husbands out there, it's so simple. First, you ask, what can I pray for you about today, honey?
1: And I'll just let him know whatever happens to be coming up. It doesn't need to be spiritual, like world peace or something. And just be, hey, I have a meeting coming up on Wednesday, and I'm not sure what to do, so I really need some wisdom for that. And then I feel like I'm coming down with a cold, so you, could, you pray that it just doesn't... Yeah. I don't really get sick. I just want to kind of bounce back because we have a lot going on and I want to stay healthy.
0: You got it. Dear God, I just pray for Chris. You'd give her wisdom at this meeting. Lord, and um, also just, I pray for health and strength and just help her feel your strength and let her know how beautiful she is. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thanks, honey. And what can I pray for you about?
0: I need wisdom because I've got some big decisions coming up and also you gave me a cold, so I need healing. (laughs) So... I'm coming down with a cold, so and I've got to preach. No, <laughs> so pray for me.
1: <laughs> okay, I sure will. Lord, thank you so much for Carrie, and I just ask you to um, keep giving him your thoughts and ideas, um, give him wisdom and uh, all the decisions coming up. And um, Lord, I pray that you would protect him from getting sick. Just keep him healthy, Lord. I thank you for um, for uh, what you've given us, and just ask that you. Help us follow you in everything today. Uh, We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Just simple as that, but yet profound to do this constantly, to do this daily. is just profound.
1: So the bottom line is that to connect deeply, we just have to learn to love first. Usually we defend ourselves first. We attack first. We find all kinds of other things to do first. But if we will love first, try to be the first one to be giving, the first one to thank each other for little things. We start to take those things for granted in a relationship. The first one to forgive. Um, If we start to do those things in our relationships, you'll actually see change. You'll actually be moved from that icy place where you felt frozen for so long into a, a warmer place. It'll keep getting warmer. You see, in our relationships with each other, we get to show what we really believe but it comes out in our daily interactions.
0: And we, we're talking about you know things like the toilet seat. Things like that can cause a lot of problems, but I can tell you what we're telling you has really brought such healing and such unity and heart connection in some of the deepest and toughest things that we've ever dealt with. And so I just really encourage you to put these things into practice. First, recognize when you're going into the vicious cycle and go, wait a minute, we want the same thing. It's just we're afraid of losing connection. And then start doing these positive things that build emotional connection, a heart connection. You remember, it's not about here. It's about here. It's a heart level connection that you need. And that breaks through everything. But there's a third thing. Decide to be broken together and connected to God together. See, you're broken. We're all broken as human beings. We're all broken and we have to bring that brokenness to God. We can't bring the brokenness to our spouse and say, it's all up to you to make me whole and complete. No human being can do that. And you can't point to your spouse and go, you're broken. You know, I'm gonna fix you. I'm gonna change you, that never works. But we can be broken together and bring our brokenness to God. Look at Romans eight thirty-eight, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. You see, we don't have to be afraid of losing connection with God. If you're a Christ follower, he loves you. Nothing can separate you from God's love. You can move away from him and not be connected like you need to be for power and strength and peace. God desires such a connection with us, and and we're broken. And together, Chris and I have decided that, hey, we can just be broken together. I'm not depending on you to make me whole. She's not depending on me to make her whole, but we can look at each other and then look to the Lord together. And we bring our brokenness to God because that's our only choice and that's when marriage works best. It's like, you know, we have these broken pieces of our heart and and we come together and we put them all together. So she knows the good, bad and ugly, at all my brokenness and she loves me still. I know all the good, bad and ugly about her, her brokenness and I love her still but we have to take the brokenness and together we bring the brokenness to God and we give our brokenness to God and he makes something beautiful out of it. He brings restoration. He gets our hearts connected to him. It's like a triangle. As you move closer to God, you move closer together. Husband and wife, moving to God, moving together. I want you to listen to the words of this song. It's called Broken Together. And if you're married, think about your marriage and realize you're broken together and bring the brokenness to God. Maybe you're thinking about a best friend that you're really having some struggles with, or maybe, you know, it's a parent or a teenager, but think about that close relationship and how God wants to bring your brokenness together so that he can bring wholeness in your life. Just listen.
1: Psalm 147:3 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. If you feel broken today, if you feel brokenhearted, you're in great company because we're all broken. All of us are broken, but the great news is that we have a healer. Jesus Christ is our healer, and God designed us to actually be healed within community, within relationships you know he could have decided to have each of us on our very own planet and just related to us alone there but he decided that we'd live together and that tells me that somehow being in relationship is part of how we learn to be like him and also how we learn to show his love to others and so we want to pray for you right now and Know that you are not alone, that God wants to heal you and that your brokenness can be different. We can be whole in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for even though, that even though we're broken, that you are whole, that all the places where we hurt, you can heal us. And so we come to you right now and ask you that for each person, Father, you know exactly what's going on in their lives. You know the places where they feel the most broken. Show us how to experience your healing. Remind us as we go through this week to do the practical, everyday things to live out our belief in you and our love for you. Teach us to be more like you, Jesus. We love you with all our hearts. In your name we pray, amen.
0: One of the best ways to experience connection in a real way is to get into a life group. And in February, we're starting a church-wide challenge. We want everyone to get in life groups as we're gonna be studying the gift of one day. You know, how to have hope in hard times. Chris and I just wrote this book based on our grandson Jude Samuel who only lived on this planet for 24 hours, but how he lived his day and unwrapped the gift of his one day changed the way we live our years. And some of the lessons that God taught us through that. And we're going to have all of our small groups go through that. If you're not in a small group, you ought got to host one. We need so many of you to host. We're going to have thousands of groups all over the area. And so this little insert here, you can fill it out and turn it in the offering basket. You can also give it to one of our great team members out in the foyer. But we want to give you a free copy of our book when it comes out in February. If you host, if you sign up to host. And all you have to do is... Uh, really just pick up your book in February, get a few friends over, have some refreshments, and then download the small group curriculum. We're gonna teach 10-minute video segments. It's a five-week program, just five nights, and uh, we want everyone to be a part of this. And we need so many of you to step up and really host and get connected. And we'll teach you how to do it, it's so easy. So you can sign up for that today. Well now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God some of what he's given us and it's so important to get started in the new year, right? Putting God first in your finances, putting him first in your schedule, putting him first in your relationships, giving him the first day of the week like you're doing. Whatever area you want God to bless, put him first in it and you'll experience the blessings of God. So as you give, pray that God will multiply these gifts. We're stepping up more than ever at Woodland Church to meet the needs of people in love we have now over 120 mission projects and ministries that are making such a difference and God is using you powerfully and we're praying for you that you'll be more blessed because you're blessed to be a blessing. Lord, bless our giving as we give to you. We thank you that we're becoming more like you because you gave your only son and we just ask you right now to bless our giving, multiply it for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.